and a handout that they're passing out and something to write with. If you, if you need a Bible, we have extra Bibles in the back. If you notice that your neighbor does not have one, just go, just go get one for, for your neighbor uh, at the table there in the back. We have extra. For, uh, for the next several weeks, I'm going to be teaching a short topical series uh, that I've titled Learning Contentment in the Covetous World. Okay, Learning Contentment in the Covetous World. I told you guys last time that, that we are going gonna, gonna to go through 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. Uh, but before we do that, I thought I'd do this, this series. Um, I don't know how long it'll take, probably several weeks maybe two months, we'll see. Um, now, if you were asking me, you know, why, why did you choose this topical series? You know, when you do topical, you, act, you, a, you actually have more freedom to choose the passages, to choose the topics, to go how, you know, how long or how, sh- how short you want to go. Um, if you're asking me that, I chose those, those two topics. You know, you, pr- you probably heard them, covetousness and contentment. I chose those two not because I think you guys are covetous and discontent, okay? It's not like I've been watching you and, and asking your parents and asking, okay, what, what would be really good for these young, young people um, and, and assuming that you guys are covetous and discontent. Um, that's, not, that's not my p- primary reason why I'm choosing this topic. My primary reason for choosing this topic is because your pastor is covetous and discontent. Um, that's hard for me to say, but, but uh, even, even older people than you, even people who have been in the faith or have been Christians much longer than you, do struggle with, with sins that you guys have to face and sins, and sins that you guys uh, sometimes even struggle with. Specifically, being covetous and being discontent in life. Um, now, if you're asking me, okay, he's being honest. Uh, I would like I would like to hear how how he found out that he was covetous and discontent. Well, I can share that with you. After summer camp, uh, we went on vacation to Florida, and uh, probably I don't know, maybe three hours. As soon as we get we got there, the Lord started revealing that my heart was covetous and and I was discontent. It didn't it didn't take that long. Um, you know, and then and then we started seeing our friends and families. I started meeting with my old friends, and we start you know we start having you know get together and fellowship and you know lunch and dinner with with a lot of our old friends, and that you know those two things you know coveting and discontentment um, were just in my heart, and and I'm noticing them, and they're and they're getting stronger, and I'm having to wrestle them to the ground as as I as I spent time with my friends. I mean, you, you, you might laugh with my, 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 um, with my examples here, but, but this is true. You know, my friend Jess, you know, my friend Jess, uh, we've been friends for a really long time. And I remember when we used to live in the same neighborhood, we had a, a, a house that was 1,100 square feet, okay? Uh, this is probably much bigger than that. And they had the same size of house. You know, we hunted together, we did a lot of cool things together. And then, 
And then every, and then every year I visit him, he's, he's, he seems to be, you know, just moving up in the square footage of, of, of home. And then, and then a couple months ago when we went to Florida, he's like, yeah, I sold my house. You know, the, the one that we bought, you know, two years ago. Um, you know, I just put in a pool and, you know, I did all this work. Uh, but, you know, I just thought I'd, I'd sell it. And I did really well because I sold it last year during, you know, COVID. And so he made a lot of money. And, um, and now I'm building a brand new house and it's even bigger. I'm like, oh. You know, trying to express that I'm happy for him, but deep inside I was coveting and discontent, thinking that, man, I should have sold my house last year, right? I should have done this, should have done that. And then my friend Dave, you know, he comes up to me, he starts telling me his life update, you know, and then every time I see him every year, he seems like he has a new car. He likes to lease and he likes to buy and he, and he likes to sell cars just, you know, for his own. And last time, he, he was driving uh, an Audi. And then last time, he was driving a Volkswagen. And then this year, he was dri- driving a Lexus SUV. And he's like, you know, and, and we're best friends. We go way back. You know, we, we, Dave and I were friends when we were unbelievers, when we were not saved back, way back in high school. So we're really close. So, you know, he's like, yeah, drive it. Yeah, try it out. I'm like, oh, that's nice, man. Congratulations. So happy for you. You know, and then my friend Adam comes up to me, and he's like, "Yeah, man, the fire department is just treating me so well." He's a firefighter. We, you know, we we go way back too. You know, we were we were doing the 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 fire academy, the EMT school, the the medic stuff together, and he got hired before I got hired, and then now he's been in the fire department for for many many years, and he's much younger than me, and he just got promoted to become a captain. A captain, you know, he's like, I don't know, 31 or, or 30. And captains make a lot of money in the fire department. And he's, you know, he's describing all that. You know, he has guys under him, you know, guys who are older than him. He's, the, he's like the boss of the fire station. And I'm like, oh, congrats, man, that's so great. You know, I'm like, I'm a youth pastor. You know, I've been doing it for five years. And then, and then I, I um, you know, go to church, and then I, I, I hear about my, my, my friend Darren. You guys know Pastor Darren Roberts. And everybody, you know, everybody loves Pastor Darren in Florida. And, and that one particular Sunday, every, you know, everybody was sad because he's leaving. He's going, he's going to plant his own church. He's, he's going to be the senior pastor of this, of this new church. And I'm like, oh, so happy for Darren. But I'm like, you know, what am I going to do next? You know, where am I going to go? Right? So all these, all those things um, were just going on in my heart. Now, my friends, okay, Jess, Dave, Adam, Darren, all those great friends of mine, and what the Lord was doing in their lives did not cause me to be covetous and discontent. You guys know that, right? My, 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 my friends whom I love, right, and what the Lord was doing in their lives weren't the things that caused me to be covetous and discontent. The Lord just used them. The Lord just used their circumstances, and I happened to be vacationing 
and then happen to have those conversations, the Lord in his sovereignty and providence, the way he works out in his creation, right? He just used that to reveal to me that my heart was already covetous and discontent. Even before those things, all those things just reveal what's in, what's in the heart. And the same apply, applies to you guys. You know, when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're talking to your classmates, when you're on your social media and then you're, and you're looking at, you know, the pros- prosperity of the wicked, you know, and the blessings of your, of your Christian friends. All those things are just instruments of God to reveal what's already in your heart. So what did I do? So for the rest of vacation, um, I just hid in the, in the ranch. No, I'm just kidding. I, I didn't do that. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I, I enjoyed the, the rest of the vacation, but I just prayed to the Lord. Uh, I confessed that to him, and I thanked him for revealing those things, and I asked him t- to help me to be really happy for my friends, and, um, and then for my Bible reading over the, over the vacation, I, started look, I just started looking up passages on discontentment and coveting. That's all I did. Just look up passages from the Bible, Bible verses that talk about those two issues. And then when we got back, when we got back from vacation, um, I started looking through my, my library, through my books of books that talk about covetousness and contentment. And um, there's four, there, there are four main ones that were very helpful, and I, I included them on your handout there. Uh, and I highly recommend that you get them if you if you can uh, one at a time so you don't you know so you don't use up all your money, um, but but all these books you would be able to um, to read and understand. Okay, these are not too difficult to read. The first one might be a little bit, but because it was written you know back in the days in the 1600s, but it's been rewritten that that it's easier to understand. Um, but those four books right there, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, The Power of Christian Contentment, The Envy of Eve, which is actually a book for women. Okay, The Envy of Eve, it was written particularly for women. And she talks about, Melissa Kruger, the author, talks about you know, how women are, are envying you know, re- relationships of other women. That women envy you know, material possessions. That women envy beauty. You know, all those things. But I read that book, and, it, and it's, it was so helpful. And then that last one there, um, been around for a while, Battling Unbelief by John Piper. Um, so, so all those books are, are super helpful. I encourage you to, to uh, get them one at a time if, if, you, uh, if you can read them. Um, but for, for, and I use all of them for this series, so... If you read them and you're like, oh, you know, Pastor Roy just copied this. And yeah, you're right. I just copied a lot of them. <laughs> okay. Um, I can't, you know, if there's something that's so helpful that I can, that, that was so beneficial to me, if I can't improve upon it, I'll just give them to you just as, just as it is. Yes. So what do you think are your favorite and least favorite? My favorite? Yeah. Well, there are actually other ones that I did not include. So these would be my favorite. Um, but... I think the, the ladies should definitely read The Envy of Eve, okay? Um, and uh, The Power of Christian Contentment by Andrew Davis, 
he, he's, he's actually kind of just reteaching and rewriting and explaining what that old book by Jeremiah, Jeremiah Burroughs uh, wrote. So you can kind of kill two birds with one stone with, with the power of Christian contentment. So if you, if you can choose two, I'd pick those two. And for the guys, I'd definitely read The Envy of Eve. Okay? So good, good question. Um, so I don't know how long we'll, we'll, we'll take you know, in this series, but it's been, it's been so helpful uh, to me, and I trust that it will be helpful to you. Again, I, this is not to assume that you guys are a bunch of coveting teenagers and discontent, discontent young people, um, but, but if that is the propensity of, a, of the human heart, you know, and if my heart has the same temptations that your heart uh, has, it's going to be super helpful for all of us, okay? So the first thing we're going to do is, is examining uh, covetousness. So we're going to spend maybe a couple Sundays looking at covetousness. We're going we're gonna to do that today, and then we're going to do another one uh, next Sunday. And then, and then hopefully I'll get into Psalm 73 and, and, um, and, and then get into contentment and all those things later on. But, but at least today and next week, we're going to look at covetousness, okay? So on your handout, um, there is... A de- the definition of covetousness, but before, we, before I give you the, the, the definition of that, how would you define covetousness? I don't know if you've heard that word before. May- maybe you have, but maybe you don't, you don't use it in your own vocabulary, but, but maybe you, you kind of know what it is. But how would you, how would you define it? What would you, how would you describe it when someone is covetous, when you're coveting? Yes, Grace. You're lying to yourself. Okay. Yes. What you're coveting is just revealing the sin problem in your heart because what you want is not really a bad thing sometimes, right? It's how you want it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, lack of faith in God, telling him that, that your life should be this way, right? Or he should give you these things. It's good, good. Yes. Jealousy. Jealousy. That's good. That's a good synonym of, of covetousness, okay? First of all, let's, let's, let's define what it is not, okay? This is letter A on your handout. Covetousness is not simply to desire something. Okay, just, just because you desire something, it doesn't automatically mean that you are covetous. Okay, covetousness is not simply to desire something. I mean, the Bible is full of people who, who desired a bunch of stuff and they weren't sinning. Okay, a lot of people desired a lot of things in the Bible. Uh, just listen to these examples. Number one, the, the psalmist desired God's word. When I say psalmist, is the author who wrote the psalm, okay? The book of, the, uh, the, the songs in the book of Psalms. So the psalmist desired God's word. Psalm 119, verse 20, he said this, Lord, and he's praying to God, right? He said, Lord, my soul, okay, my spirit inside me is crushed. You know, it's in distress. Why? Because because I'm longing after your ordinances or your word, God's word, at all times. 
He said, that's what I want all the time, your word. And when I, when, when I don't hear it, when I don't read it, when I don't get to study it, my soul is just in distress. It's like crushed. So that's a good desire, right? Secondly, another example is Hannah. Okay, you guys remember Hannah? Hannah desired to have a, a baby, a child, right? In 1 Samuel chapters, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 7, Hannah there was described as uh, she, she went to the house of the Lord, kind of like their church back then. So she, she went to the house of the Lord year after year, praying and pleading. Okay, that's begging language. Praying and pleading that the Lord would grant her a child. You know, year after year, that, w- that was a strong desire of, of Hannah. She desired a baby, a child, and, la- and eventually the Lord did grant her prayer and pleading, and she was given a, a son named, is Samuel here? It's not him, you know, Samuel's not 2,000 years old, but the same name. Samuel, right? She got pregnant, and the son would be Samuel. So that's a good desire. Another third example is Paul, okay, in the New Testament. Paul desired to be with other Christians. And I, did, I, didn't, I didn't see this at first, but the more I looked up all these passages of Paul's longing, Paul is the, the apostle who wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament. That guy, he actually, there's actually a lot of passages that talks about his longing, his strong desire to be with other Christians. Here's just one example in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. So, he's, so Paul's in prison, and he's writing to the Christians in, in that, that, that city called Thessalonica. So he's writing to them. He's in prison. And, and listen, to, listen to what he told them. He said this, But we, you know, Paul and his friends, having been taken away from you, okay, Christians, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. I mean, you can imagine Paul in prison. Right? He's like, man, I was taken away from my brothers and sisters in Christ. And all day long, while I sit here in prison, prison, all I desire is to see them. This strong desire to be with other Christians. Here's another desire that Paul had. This is the fourth example of uh, desiring something that, that's not necessarily wrong. Paul also desired to go to heaven. You guys desire that? Every day? Every hour? Yeah, we should. Paul also desired to go to heaven. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he said this, to die and to be with Christ is, it, this is great because in the English it says, is very much better. You know, grammar people are like, oh, you can't do that. That's like double superlative. Well, that's what Paul is talking about. He's like, I strongly desire to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. That is very much better. He said. So, students, just because you desire things, okay, just because you have desires for things like knowing your Bible, like the psalmist, having, hopefully not, well, but, you know, those who are married, having a child, like, like Hannah, right, being with other Christians, going to heaven, just because you have, de- you have those as your desires, it doesn't mean that you are coveting, doesn't mean that you're covetous, doesn't mean that you're sinning. Okay, covetousness is not simply to desire something. So here's what covetous is. Covetousness is. Okay, so it's not that. What is it? It's this letter B. 
Covetousness is to strongly desire something, to strongly desire something that God has not given you. Okay, that God has not given you, that you lose contentment in Him. Okay, I want you guys to memorize that as we, as we um, walk through this series of covetousness and contentment. Covetous, covetousness is to strongly desire something that God has not given you. Okay, that you start to lose your contentment in God. That's when you know that you are committing the sin of covetousness. To, to have this strong desire for something that God has not given you. Okay? And the result of that is you losing your contentment in God. That's coveting. Now, I know somebody mentioned... Um, jealousy earlier as a synonym for, for covetousness, and, and that's right. So uh, on your handout, I just included the, the four subsets of covetousness. You know, if you, I call them subsets because if you, bi- biblically, really, here's the picture. You have covetousness as the big umbrella sin, okay? It's like, it's like a big sin. It's, imagine an umbrella, right? That's the sin of covetousness. And then, and then there are four uh, subsets not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they're little sins in, compar- in comparison to covetousness. They're, they're also wicked sins, but all four sins are actually under that big umbrella of covetousness. Okay, so you have those four right there. Number one, you have lust. Okay, lust is to have a strong desire for romantic or sexual pleasures. That's lust. It's primarily used for, for those things, romantic or sexual pleasures. Number two is greed. Okay, greed. Greed is to have a strong desire for money or possessions or material things, temporal things. Okay, that's greed. Strong desire for money, possessions, materialism, all those things. Jealousy, okay, jealousy is to have strong desire for something that you don't have. Okay, to be jealous is to desire, to desire something that you don't have. I want a promotion. I want a bigger house. Right? I want that new, new car. I want a new job. All those things. Desiring something that you don't have. Now, here's, here's what I love about jealousy and envy. Envy, on the other hand, is to have a strong desire for something that you don't have, and you're bitter toward those who have it. That's envy, okay? When, when you're desiring something that your friend has and you don't have it, that's jealousy. But when you desire what your friend has and you don't have it and you start becoming bitter against your friend because she has it and you don't, and there's bitterness in your heart every time you guys hang out and she's enjoying this thing that you want and it's not yours, and you become rude and mean, that's, that's envy. Okay, all those sins, okay, the, all those subsets of, all those uh, sub, are subsets of covetousness. So when you hear people say, or when you read in the Bible, okay, envy, jealousy, greed, lust, all those things, they, they're really under this big sin of covetousness. Okay, to have a strong desire for something that God has not given you, that you lose your contentment in Him, in God. So, 
Now, let's move down to the characteristics of covetousness. Okay, we'll spend half of our time here. The characteristics of covetousness. Because you guys may be asking, okay, how do I know? Like, you know, yeah, you're, you're older than me. Yeah, you're a pastor. So, yes, I, I get it. You still struggle with covetousness and, and, and discontentment. But it seems like you, you, you know, you, you happen to just know right away when you were on vacation that, okay, you are sinning. But I don't know if I can really do that. You know, that easy or that fast. Um, well, this is going to be helpful for, for you, knowing the characteristics of covetousness. You know, what are some signs and symptoms when you start seeing that, those things in your heart that you know that, okay, this could be, okay? I don't know yet, but this could be, and I, be- and I better look into it more. Okay, this is how you know if you're committing the sin of covetousness. Number one, the object is wrong. The object is wrong. Did I include that in your handout? Okay. The object is wrong. So if you desire something that's against the will of God, okay, completely something that he does not want you to have, okay, something that he doesn't want you to pursue, then you know for certain, 100% sure that you are guilty of coveting. Does that make sense? That, that's pretty simple, right? To, to, to desire something that is wrong. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 3. Okay, all uh, these four characteristics, we're going to look at four passages that, that are examples of these things so that you guys can have, have these Bible passages in your mind. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Okay, Eve is a great example of this. The first lady. Genesis chapter, th- chapter 3, okay, uh, follow as I read, starting in verse 1. Okay, so everything, everything just got done being created by God. Everything is very good, right, God said, and he rested on the seventh day. Now look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. So here comes Satan. He enters the picture. Okay, it was, he wasn't mentioned before. Now he's in. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, that's Eve, he said this, the the, the serpent, Indeed, has God said, did God really say, uh, did, did God really say this, Eve, that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Did he really say that to you, Eve? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, okay, all those fruit trees over there, we can eat from those trees. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, yes, God did say, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So he gave a command, don't eat from it. And he gave a consequence. You will die if you do that. Yes, serpent. God did tell us that. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Come on. It's just a tree, just a fruit. Really believe that? If you touch it, eat it, that, you, that you're going to die? Come on, you're so gullible. Verse 5, For God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, When the woman saw, okay, when the woman saw that the tree was good for eating, okay, it's like good to eat, 
and that it was a delight or beautiful in, uh, to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate also. And you know that they will, they will die, right, physically, and their, their, their souls, their hearts would die, right? Everything after that is wickedness and evil in the heart. So God was, was true to his warning and to his, to his consequence. So that's a great example of someone who is desiring an object that is wrong. You know, it's, it's clear that God, God says, you know, yeah, you can't have that. Okay, you should not have that. That's actually against my will. That's actually not good for you, and that's actually against my glory. So that's the first characteristic of covetousness. The object is wrong. What are, what are some things that we strongly desire today that are wrong? Kind of like Eve. You guys have any examples? Yeah. What is it? Money? Okay, is money a wrong object? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get there in a little bit. Things that are wrong. Yes, Grace. Popularity? Yeah? Kind of like... There you go. Yeah, when people... You're so popular because people worship you. That kind of popularity. Yeah. Yes, Pookie. Drugs. Yeah, hey, everybody does it in my school, you know. Hey, it's not nothing wrong with it. Well, it's against God's will. Yes, th that object is certainly wrong. Any other examples? Yes, Leslie? What is that? Romantic relationship outside of marriage. That is certainly wrong. Right? So those are great examples of objects that are, that are wrong. That's a sign that you are coveting. I was thinking about this. You know, the Lord blesses you with parents, right? But after spending time at your friend's house and seeing how rich and cool, you know, your friend, friend's parents are, you, begun, you begin to become covetous. And you start desiring different set of parents, I wish my dad was Mr. Smith. I wish my mom was Mrs. Jones, right? My own mom, my own dad right now, yeah, I don't like them. It's hard to love them. I wish I had so-and-so. That's a characteristic of, of covetousness because the object is wrong. That's against God's will. If he wanted you to have different parents, he would have given you a different set of parents in the beginning. Here's, here's the second characteristic of covetousness. So you have the object is wrong. Number two, the means is wrong. Okay, how, how you go about it, how, how, you, how you obtain or how you get whatever you're desiring. Okay, the means is wrong. Now, you may desire something that is not against God's will, okay? So something that you're actually allowed to have, like money, okay? Um, but if you're willing to go about it in the wrong way, 
then you're still guilty of covetousness. Okay, how you go about it. Even though, even though it's in God's will, even though it's not a, a sinful thing, you're actually, you, you, you actually, you're actually allowed to have this thing, but, but if you go about it in a sinful way, then that's still coveting. Go to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Um, you guys remember Abram's wife? What was her name? Not Abraham's wife, Abram's wife. Yes. Sarai. Sarai. Just a little trick question. Same, same people. So this is, this is a great example. Okay, Sarai, Sarah. We can call her Sarah. It's okay. Abraham's wife is a great example of having a, a right desire, but how she went about it was wrong. Okay? Genesis chapter 16, look at verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. No children. And remember, right before this chapter, right, starting in chapter 12 of Genesis, God spoke to, to, to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to give you what? A, yeah, not, not just a child, but I'll give you a bunch of children, right? I, I'm going to give you a lot of children and your children's children and your children's children's children that you're going to look at your legacy, right, hundreds and thousands from, uh, years from now, and, and you can't even count them. They're going to they're gonna outnumber the stars, God said. And he said, that is my promise to you, Abraham. So, you know, fast forward, you have, you know, Abraham and Sarah, and now here's Sarah, cannot, cannot give Abraham children. And, and Sarah did desire children. She knew that God made a covenant with her husband. She knew that they need children. And, and she desired to have a baby, right? Is that wrong? No. But look at how she went about it. Okay, here's the means that, that she used. Instead of trusting that God is always true to his promises, it just... He, he just doesn't give us how long he's going to fulfill his promises, but he's always true to his promises. He always does what he, what he says. Instead of trusting that, Sarah got impatient. He, uh, she, she got impatient and she stopped trusting God. And look at verse 2. Actually, back, back in verse, verse 1. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, it's like, look, it's like, check her out. That's kind of the translation of behold. Check, check this out. Check her out. The Lord has prevented me from, being, uh, from bearing children. Please, Abraham, my husband, go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So, Object is right, right? A child. And she's like, I don't think I'm coveting a child because this is actually God's promise to my husband and I. But, but there's nothing, no pregnancy, right? Pregnancy test, no, nothing, no line. Another one, no line. Another one, no line. You know, and they keep going to CVS, getting, you know, they have like a membership for CVS for these bulk 
pregnancy test. There's nothing. And Sarah's like, man, I thought God promised this to us. Didn't he promise this to us, husband? You were there, right? Yeah, he did. So the object was right, but the means was completely wrong, definitely wrong, sinfully wrong. Now, how have you guys desired a good thing, but you went about it the wrong way? What is an example how you guys have done what Sarah did there in Genesis 16? You desired something that was good. You were allowed to have it. You even have a chapter and verse for it. But you went about it the wrong way, sinfully. Yes, Grace. A what? You wanted what? And you cheated. Oh, that takes me back. Because <laughs> um, I wanted an A in a lot of things in, in school. And yes, yeah, I can definitely relate. I was actually, um, you know, this is to my shame, I actually taught my friends how to get better in cheating. Um, so, yeah, a good desire. Is there something wrong with, with wanting to have an A? No. No, you should ha- want to have an A. Right, but that's definitely the wrong means to do that. Other examples? Yes, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you get you 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 get obsessed over it. But I want you to start changing your 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 uh, how you describe what we all that this is not just you, but this is all of us. Instead of saying I'm obsessing over something, what should we say? We are making it an idol. Because when we say it that way, it's it's how the Bible talks. You know, now the iPhone or the you know the the video game or this you know, dress, it's not just, oh, I'm just obsess- obsessing over it. It's now, oh, that's an idol. You know, if God needs to be God, the only God in my heart, and now this is an idol, now there's competition. Okay, that, that's help, helpful to, to, uh, to pray that way and talk that way. Any other, any other good thing that you really desired, but you went about it the wrong way? Yes. Yeah, 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 that's what I wrote down here. You're a girl and you desire to have guy friends, which is a good thing. Girls, you guys, you girls, you girls should have guy friends, right? It's okay to have guy friends, okay? God has created us to to be in relationships, right? Uh, Friendships is what I mean, you know, Christian friendships. Um, So, you desire to have guy friends, which is a good thing, but then you go about it the wrong way, right? You start talking like how the world sounds because you've watched it on Hollywood. You've watched it in, in social media that when a girl talks that way, she always gets the guy friends, right? And then you start dressing, right, with more skin because you've seen that it works, right, out in the world. So you start doing that. Why? 
so that you can have guy friends, which is not wrong, but the way you go about it is sinfully wrong. Okay? So the object is wrong, the means is wrong. Number three, the motivation is wrong. Okay, the motivation is wrong, or why you want that thing, the reason or the purpose for wanting that thing. The object is wrong, the means is wrong, the motivation is wrong. So you may desire something that's good, okay, really good, and you may go about it the right way. Okay, you want an A, and you study hard, right? You're not going to cheat, right? You want money, and you work hard, and you work overtime, right? So the, the object is right, the means is right, but then, but then if the reason in your heart is wrong, then guess what? You're still guilty of the sin of covetousness. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. So just keep going to the right. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, chapter 8. The Israelites are a great example of this, okay, the motivation that is wrong. Okay, look at uh, verse 1, okay, 1 Samuel, chapter 8, verse 1. And it came about when Samuel, he was the, the judge of Israel, so, so they leave they leave uh, Egypt, right? God rescues them out of slavery in Egypt, and then, and then he gave them Samuel as their, their leader, their judge. And it came about when Samuel was old, really old, that he, that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. So he's, you know, training and appointing his replacement. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah, they were judging in Beer- Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways. They weren't good men. They weren't godly men like their, their dad Samuel, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah, told him, Behold, you have grown old, man. You've grown, you've grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. They're not like you, Samuel. So appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Okay? So, was the desire good? Hey, you're getting old. Your sons, we, you know, we don't think they should be leading us. So we want a king. Is the desire good? Yeah, that's good. Right? Is, is, their, um, is their means right? You can say it's right. They're actually going to Samuel and saying, Hey, you are getting old. Right? You are going to die soon. And we, we understand, you know, your sons are going to be the next in line. Um, but, we're, but we are coming to you asking and requesting that you give us a king. So they did go to Samuel and ask him, right, for their desire. Now, look at verse, verse 6. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. Okay, just, just listen to them, understand them, for they have not rejected you, Samuel. You are getting old. You can't be their leader for forever. But they have rejected me. So they're not rejecting you, Samuel. Don't worry about that. They're rejecting me from being king over them. 
like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day. In that day, they have forsaken me and serve other gods, so they are doing to you also. But he said, however, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the pr procedure of the king who will reign over them. So they've never had a king before. Okay, that wasn't a thing for the Israelites. Okay, they had judges like Samuel, right? People who led them. But the king, like all the nations had kings, they, they've never done that. But they want that, right? So God said, okay, listen to them, but you need to warn them. If they really want a king, you need, you need to warn them of the, the, you know, it's not always, you know, the grass is not always greener, you know, the, uh, those other nations there. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people. Okay, verse 10. And um, look, at, look at verse 11. So this is now Samuel talking to the Israelites. This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. This is how it goes, guys. This is how it typically goes. He will take your sons and place them for himself in, the, in his chariots among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots, meaning they're going to enlist them in the military. Your precious, cute sons, they're, they're, he's going to take them. Verse 12, he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, you know, to do the plowing and the reaping of, of harvesting and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. So he, he's going to put you guys to work. Hard labor. Verse 13, he'll, he'll also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. Now you might be like, yeah, baking, you know. But it, it was probably it wasn't like that, <laughs> okay? No KitchenAid, you know, not, not, none of those things. Everything was from scratch. So they're gonna, he's going to make, make your daughters do those things. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards, your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He's going to just take them all from you, your ranch. He's going to take your ranch, give it to his people. And then he'll, he's going to take pretty much everything that you have. Okay, then look at verse 18, jump down to verse 18. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, Moses is telling them, or sorry, Samuel is telling them. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but, we, but, but there shall be a king over us. <laughs> Why is that? Here, here's the point, verse 20 that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So the motivation was wrong for the Israelites. They wanted, they're Jews, Israelites, God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, and they were discontent with that because they didn't have what the other pagan, ungodly nations had, a king. He's like, forget your warnings, Samuel. We don't care. And who even knows that that's going to happen to us? Come on. Just give us a king. We really want to be like them. We really want to be like them. So how do, how do we do that today, students? Give me an example when you desired a good thing. Okay? You, you even probably started going about it the right way. But then down here, in here, uh, your motivation was wrong. What are some examples? Yes. Wanting to read your Bible um, more than 
Yeah, knowing your Bible so that you can fit in. Yeah. Good desire. And the means is good. You know, you need to read your Bible so that you can know the Bible. But then if the motivation is that, then that's covetousness. What else? Another example. Yeah, Grace. Yeah, wanting to have a career and working hard to get that career, but you are really doing it for popularity. Yeah, I had the same thing. You know, you desire to become a great singer, so you practice diligently. You know, to become a great singer is a great desire. Practicing diligently so that you can become a great singer is a good way to go about it, right? But then the reason why you want to excel in singing is so that you would be the one who Mr. James or Mr. Tyler always asked to be up front on the stage because you love attention. That's the motivation, is to get the attention of people. And again, this is tricky because the, uh, when the object is wrong, you can see that, your parents can see that, your friends can see that, we can see that. When the means is wrong, you can see that, your parents can see that, we can see that. When the motivation is wrong, though, can, can we see that? Can your parents see that? No. Right? When somebody says, yeah, I really want to be a great, and, and this was me, you know, I wanted to be like the best drummer when I was in college. I, I played drums. And my friend Jordan was like amazing. You know, he was a pastor's kid, so, so he kind of used that, but... You know, he was a good drummer. He was a really good drummer. So he went out to college uh, away, up in like Orlando, so like hours away. So he had to move, had to go to a different church. So I'm like, yeah, my time, right? I was the second stringer, and now I'm the first stringer. So I, and I would just practice and practice and practice. I, I didn't own my own set, so I would go to, to church like in the morning before work, and I would just practice and practice. Was the, desire, was the desire good to become a really good drummer for the church? Yes. Uh, did I cheat? No. I actually practiced, put in the work, right? But was the motivation wrong? Yeah, it was sinfully wrong. Because I knew that after Jordan finished college, he would be coming back. And I was hoping that he would say, hey, man, I haven't played in three years, you know. But obviously, you've been practicing, so... You know, you take, you take the morning services, and I'll take the night, you know, when there's only like 50 people. You know, they don't even stream it. No, the, the music minister said, okay, Jordan's back, Roy. Uh, you, get, you know, you're going you're gonna to play uh, in the night service. And back then, it's like a small service, you know, just old people. Um, they didn't even like drums. I'm like, oh, man. You know, Jordan is back, right? So the motivation is wrong. Here's the fourth characteristic of covetousness. Number four, the attitude is wrong. The attitude is wrong. So you may desire something that's good, go about it in the right way, even have the right motivation, right? But if your attitude about it is full of grumbling and complaining, like I explained to our kids, I hear grumbling and complaining, 
if that is your attitude, you know, if you're comparing yourself to others, if you're bitter inside, if you are ungrateful to God, then you're still guilty of the sin of covetousness. Here's our last passage. Go, to, go back, backwards to Exodus chapter 15. Again, the Israelites, they're, they're, they are a good example of a lot of bad things, unfortunately. Exodus chapter 15. Look at verse 22. So, Moses is their leader, right? Moses just got him out of Egypt, right? Ten plagues, right? And then Pharaoh finally said, okay, you guys can go. But then he changed his mind. He chased after them. And then the, the, the sea swallowed them up. So all those army, um, that army is now dead. So now they're, they're, finally, they're finally wandering around on their way to the promised land. Chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. No water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people, what? The Israelites did what? Grumbled. How do you guys grumble? Our, our kids are all different. My, my son, he, he like audibly grumbles, right? The other one grumbles with her face. Because you, you, I'm sure your parents can tell when you're grumbling just by looking at the face that we're making. Um, so the Israelites grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink, Moses? And Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord, the Lord showed him a tree and he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statue and regulation and there he tested them. So they wanted water. They asked Moses, the motivation was probably right. I'm thirsty. <laughs> you know, it's been three days. We, we are going to die if we don't drink. But then the attitude was wrong. It was a grumbling. It was a grumbling attitude. Now look at chapter 16. Okay, jump down to chapter 16, verse, verse 1. So they got water, right? Sweet water. It was a good day for them. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then they set out from, from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. So this is only two months after the Exodus. Only two months, okay? Verse 2, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, what? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Verse 3, would, would that... We had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the, the pots of meat, when we ate bread of the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's like, okay, thank you for the water, but man, where is the food? And then, again, grumbling against Moses, against Joshua. They kept grumbling. Here's what happened to them. God, you know, just two months ago, okay, and they were, 
and they were under the slavery of the Egyptians for hundreds of years. And then God finally chooses them, right, as his people and, and rescues them out of that slavery, which is actually a miracle, right? What happened to the Israelites? They had forgotten that if God could do the biggest thing for them, which is rescue them out of slavery, how much more could he do the little things like give them water and food? So instead of thinking about that, instead of having that attitude of gratitude, right? Thank you, Lord, for taking us out of slavery. Yes, we're thirsty. Yes, we're hungry. But if you can do that, you can do this. Instead of doing that, what do they do? They grumbled and complained. How, how do we do this today, students? When, you, when your desire is good, the means is good, the motivation is good, but then your heart is full of wrong attitude. Yes, Ryan. Hmm. Yeah, when there is a when there is a if or when. Yeah, that's a great example. If you do this or when you're done with this, then you can have it and you're like, oh you grumble and complain. Yes. Oh yeah, when you get benched. That happened to me a lot too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You start grumbling and complaining because you're putting in the same amount of work as your teammates, but they're getting better, they're getting more playtime and you're not you you know, you're not getting better as fast as they are. And the coach is not putting you in. Yeah, you, um, you desire to get a, a job, right? That's a good desire, right? To earn money, that's good, right? So you can buy a car, that's also good, right? So, so far, you're, you're, the first box is checked. You know, the, the object is, is right. And you've been diligently looking for jobs online, right? So the means also is right. You know, you're looking online, you're, at, you're even going to those places with your resume. Even though you're a teenager, you're going to those places and you're showing them your face and your resume, so, you're, so the means is good, right? Then you finally get an interview, right? Let's, let's say Chick-fil-A calls you. Hey, we, uh, we have, um, you know, we're so busy, you know, so many young people uh, want to work for us, so we're actually doing a team interview, meaning it's not just you. It's going to be a bunch of people and we're just going to interview everybody. Um, so you, you get there, you're like, yes, you know, I've been praying for this. I do want a job because I do need money because, because I want a car and that is a good thing. And the Lord says, yes, that is a good thing, right? And I've been working hard, looking online. I'm going to, you know, I've, I've even prepped myself for this interview. I've looked up the history of Chick-fil-A, you know, I know the recipe of the, the bread that they use for that breading. You know, I know all that. You know, if they ask me that, man, I know it, you know. I've been diligently studying. But guess what? You show up. You know, let's say, let's say, Pookie, let's say this is Pookie, right? And then she shows up. And then, and then Kaylin is there. And then Lexi is there. 
you know, and Zane is there, and then Ryan is there, everybody's there, and then and then I'm there, you know. Let's say I need a job. She's gonna be she's gonna be prone to have a wrong attitude. We're we're all going to be prone to have a wrong attitude. I'd be sitting there saying, "Man, you know, just grumbling and complaining." I, I, I know my friend, oh man, she has a better chance of getting this. And you're not happy for that friend, right? And then, and then you leave the interview and what happens in your heart, you're ungrateful. You're not even thankful that God gave you an interview. So that's the wrong motivation. So I want you guys to think about those examples from the Bible, Okay from Genesis to 1 Samuel to Exodus, all those examples of, of the characteristics of covetousness. Okay, when the object is wrong, when the means is wrong, when the mo- motivation is wrong, and then when your attitude is wrong. Think about those stories. I want you to revisit those passages. And I want you guys to really think hard about this, that when you start seeing any of these four characteristics, that you would, that you would deal with them right then and there. Okay, so... That's one homework. Your second homework is to, is to memorize that, that definition of covetousness. Okay, I want you guys to memorize that. Covetousness is to strongly desire something that God has not given you, that you lose your contentment in Him. Okay, sounds good? And then next, uh, next Sunday, we'll, we'll uh, just keep going and, and continue examining covetousness. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today, for this morning. Uh, this has been so good to me, and I pray that it's the same for the students. I pray that they will learn how to uh, mark out any signs and symptoms of covetousness in their hearts so that they can deal with it, so that they can be pleasing to you, and that they can grow. I pray that you would be gracious and merciful to them and that they, won't, that they wouldn't be discouraged when they see this, because we all struggle with this. I pray that they won't be discouraged, but I pray that they would be encouraged because you're working in them, and I pray that they would turn to your word so that they can change. Uh, thank you for all these young people. Thank you for all of our visitors. Thank you for their listening ears and their attention that they give me, and we just ask that you would bless the rest of our day. And we also pray for Proverbs chapter 31 um, from Pastor Scott. I pray that that would be just a benefit to our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.